Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where I come on here once a week and I discuss a true crime case ranging from all things true crime, from murder, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe on the YouTube channel and watch the visual version every Wednesday or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts and listen to the podcast every Tuesday. And for today's case, we are going to be talking about the Brentwood Massacre. Now, there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. So, at the University of Calgary, at the end of every semester, they have what's called a BSD. And this BSD is basically like a big party where the whole campus comes to celebrate the end of the semester. And there are a lot of parties that happen on campus, but there are also a lot of parties that happen off campus. And a particular off-campus party was going on on April 14th of 2014 when five students were getting ready to go to a party. The students were Jordan Segura, Josh Hunter, Caitlin Paris, Lawrence Hong, and Zachariah Rathwell. The party took place in Brentwood, Canada, and it was a house party happening at 11 Butler Crescent Northwest, aka the Butler Mansion. This house was a very popular house that would typically be rented out to college students, and it was actually the home of Jordan Segura, as well as a couple of other college students. Jordan Segura was attending the University of Calgary, and it was there where he majored in history and religious studies and he really hoped to become a humanitarian after college. He was raised by his brother Patty as well as having an older brother and it was said that him and his older brother were super close. They were basically like best friends. Jordan was described by friends to be very outgoing, very funny, and everyone's hype man. Um, He was just always giving people compliments and if somebody was, you know, nervous about something or was indifferent about something, he would always make them feel better, hype them up, you know, you got this, just go in there, do your thing. So Jordan, as well as a couple of his other roommates, wanted to throw a BSD, you know, just an after semester big party where everybody could hang out and relax and celebrate the end of the year. And Jordan actually decided to invite his longtime friend, Katie Paris. Caitlin Paris, or Katie Paris, was 23 years old and she was a dancer and an artist. She had one brother and two sisters and they described her to be a very outgoing girl. She went to Mount Royal University where she majored in English and her hobbies consisted of just anything creative. She loved to just do anything that got her creative juices flowing. She loved dancing, gardening, painting, reading, even candle making. And she, from a very young age, loved to dance. And it was actually one of her biggest dreams to grow up and be a dance teacher so that she could teach little girls how to dance. Her uncle described her as a, quote, small girl with big courage. So one of Jordan Segura's friend, the host of this party, he also invited 23-year-old Joshua Hunter. Joshua, or Josh, also attended the University of Calgary, and ever since he was a little kid, he was very talented when it came to music. He could play a lot of instruments, but his favorite instrument to play was the drums. 
In school, a lot of his friends described him to be very kind and wholesome. And sometimes, you know, he wasn't the most outgoing person. He was a little bit shy. He was a little bit to himself. But again, his friends just described him as like, he's the type of person that is super shy. But once you get to know him and he warms up to you, he's like super outgoing. A lot of people said that although he was kind of shy, whenever he would play music, it was like a whole different person. He was, you know, not really talking to anyone, but as soon as he got on his drums, people said it was like a whole different person was up there. Like, he really felt himself when he was playing music. And Josh even had a band called Zachariah and the Prophets, and the lead singer of this band, as well as his best friend, was Zachariah Rathwell. Zachariah Rathwell, aka Zach, went to Alberta College of Art and Design. He, same thing with Josh, was very musically inclined at a very young age. He loved to play music, he loved to sing music. He was definitely the type of person that loved to just laugh at everything. You know, he didn't really take life too seriously. He was super about, you know, living in the moment and living life to the fullest. Um, He would not really get mad or sad about things like too, too often. He would just kind of laugh things off and, you know, again, just not really take things too seriously. He was also described to just be very fun to be around and he could literally just make anyone laugh like even if the room was dead silent and super serious he would always just say something just to get the room laughing and another person that was invited to this party was a man by the name of Lawrence Hong. 27-year-old Lawrence Hong had moved to Canada from the Philippines when he was seven years old. He grew up in Canada with his mom, his dad, and his brother. His family was said to be very close. You know, they always kind of just told each other everything, and his family described him to have a really big heart, and he was super determined. You know, whatever Lawrence set his mind to he was going to achieve it no matter how much hard work was involved but he also just had the biggest heart ever like he would give you the clothes right off his back and the food right on his table if anyone needed it he was in his final year at calgary university in the urban studies and infrastructure program and he was really hoping to become a transit planner after college And this was something that he was very passionate about doing because, you know, with transit, especially public transit, that is how people get to work. That is how people get to school. And he was really passionate about just creating a more functional society to where people could get to where they need to be on time and just things like that. So he was going to school for a pretty long time for that. But since he was in his final year, he was working on his final thesis, and this was something that took up a lot of his mind. He was super stressed about it, and all he wanted to do was just relax, drink, and hang out with some friends. And that is when he found out about Jordan Segura's party at 11 Butler Crescent Northwest. So on April 14th, 2014, the day of the party, Zach had come home from school that day and told his mom that he had plans to hang out with Josh and a couple 
couple other friends that night just you know celebrate the end of the semester and stuff like that although he wasn't done with school yet a lot of his friends were so he just wanted to you know hang out and celebrate with them he actually told his mom that he was going to take his bike to the party because he didn't want to take his car and then he knew that the next morning if he did drink and he spent the night there he was going to feel very hungover and he didn't want to drive his car super hungover so he just much rather take his bike to all of his classes so as the night went on back at the butler mansion the later it got the more people started to show up and you know slowly one by one everyone started to get there and all in all it was around 30 people at this party and those 30 people included katie jordan josh zach and lawrence now people were mostly kind of all over the house but most of them were in the backyard because they actually had a bonfire going but one of the attendees at this party that showed up a little bit later than everyone else was a man by the name of Matthew DeGrood. Matthew, like most of the kids there, was a student at Calgary University. He was described to be a little quiet and kept to himself, but he was a really good student, got good grades, straight A's. His father was also a senior officer with the Calgary Police Department. It was at Calgary where he majored in psychology and minored in law and society, and it was actually around this time where he had been accepted to go to law school in the fall to continue his studies. But over the previous months, however, his parents had noted that Matthew kind of picked up on some really odd behavior. He became very reclusive he wasn't really talking to anyone he would spend most of his days on the internet and his parents were always encouraging Matthew to seek help for his mental health issues but Matthew really wouldn't do anything about it and his parents kind of grew worried about this behavior because they knew that in the past Matthew had actually had some trouble with substance abuse so they were kind of scared that maybe he was doing that again now Matthew was actually invited to this party by a guy named Brendan Brendan was a childhood friend of Matthew and Brendan also realized that in the past couple of months Matthew just hasn't really been out as much as he used to be he's kind of been like you know to himself very reclusive so Brendan just threw it out there just kind of invited him was like okay like you need to get out of the house like you can't stay in that house anymore you need to hang out you need to socialize so come on over to this party and if you don't no big deal now Matthew on this day was actually working at a place called Safeway and his shift was supposed to end at 11 p.m. and his co-worker Andrea mentioned that on this particular day like in this shift Matthew just seemed very odd he seemed very unusually quiet and then at one point during his shift she actually saw him buying garlic capsules you know like those little vitamin containers that have all those like capsules in it it was the garlic ones and then he also withdrew $500 from his account in the little ATM that they had in the store now Andrea did think this as weird but she didn't really think too much of it she was like okay you know like I'm not really gonna ask about it maybe he has a reasoning for it and so as I said his shift was supposed to end at 11 p.m. but Matthew clocked out at 8 p.m. instead of 11 p.m. a whole three hours before his shift was supposed to end. 
And so although he had drove to work, he just left his car in the parking lot of his job and instead took public transit to the party. So around 10 p.m., that is when Andrea, his co-worker, realized that he was gone. So she texted him and was like, hey, why did you leave? Like, is something wrong? And he replied, quote, trust that I never hurt anyone. All will be known And during this night on his way to the party, he was also sending very odd text messages to his mom saying, quote, trust me, it's reincarnation this time. I do the right thing for once instead of thinking only of myself. I'm okay, mom. I promise. I will never die and no one will die. You can't come here. You will die. So he's texting all of these odd text messages on the way to this party, but no one knows that he's going to this party. The only people that know he's going to this party is Brendan. Like his parents, as far as they know right now, they think that he's at work. So his dad texts him and says, quote, Are you okay? I'm really concerned about your incoherent ramblings. And Matthew replied to that saying, quote, Illuminati, Mary doesn't have to die this time. Operation Mind Crime to American Soldier. Matthew also texted Brendan asking for directions to the house, which was pretty odd to Brendan because Matthew had been to the house before. So he was like, you know what? Maybe he just forgot. So Matthew and Brendan actually met at a service station that was only like a six minute walk from the house. So he met him up at the service station and they just walked back to the party together. On the walk to the party, Brendan described Matthew to seem very irritated. And at one point during the walk to the party, Matthew even gave Brendan the garlic capsules, not the whole bottle, but just like a couple, as well as a serrated knife. I'm not really sure what Brendan did in this moment, but I'm assuming some weird thing happened. And then um, Matthew just put the things back in his pocket. So once Matthew actually arrived to the party, people were very uncomfortable around Matthew because of his topic of conversations. He was constantly talking talking about conspiracy theories, the blood moon, and the apocalypse. He actually had a bunch of like garlic capsules from that vitamin container in his sock and he showed people at the party that he had garlic in his sock and it was to quote keep the vampires away. He also at one point put blue medical gloves on and started to wash his hands with them and whilst he was you know still wearing these medical gloves he told everyone around him that the world was going to end at midnight and he needed to keep the gloves on so if the world did end at midnight and he needed to kill someone he wouldn't get his prints on anything so this comment him saying that he was going to kill someone at midnight really made a lot of people uncomfortable to where people were just slowly starting to leave the party but as i said matthew was inside and a lot of people were outside enjoying the bonfire so a lot of people outside didn't even know that Matthew was there but there was a guy there by the name of Daniel and Daniel just like Brendan had known Matthew for a very long time and as he was overhearing Matthew's like 
random ramblings and these things that didn't make sense and also these things that scared a lot of people there he kind of just took Matthew and was like hey let's take a walk around the block for a little bit like let's clear your head so they're walking around the neighborhood and they take a good 45 minute walk and then when Matthew gets back to the party he doesn't go inside but he goes into the backyard to the bonfire and immediately when he got back to the bonfire he seemed okay at first until randomly he threw his phone in the fire and this kind of startled a lot of people there was this one person there that thought that maybe Matthew accidentally threw it in there so he went into the fire and he was able to get it out but Matthew took the phone and found a nearby axe that they had in the backyard and just took the axe and smashed his phone and then after this again he just acted like as if nothing happened obviously people saw that and was like that's really weird why would he do that and then Matthew just pretended like nothing even happened he was just walking around and he even started to talk to Zach about his band and during all of this his parents his mom and dad were really trying to get a hold of Matthew but as I said Matthew just axed his phone so there was no way for his parents to get a hold of him so after a while of not getting any responses that is when the mom decides to call the police and his father decides to get in his car and go look for Matthew the first place that Matthew's dad thinks to look is Matthew's work so he drives to Matthew's work and he sees Matthew's car in the parking lot so he's thinking okay Matthew is probably inside everything is fine so he goes inside and that is when his co-worker Andrea tells Matthew's dad he's been gone for a couple of hours now he was supposed to leave at 11 and he actually left at 8 so his dad goes back outside checks inside the car realizes Matthew isn't there and then that's when he really starts to get worried he's worried that Matthew probably went somewhere to hurt himself so whilst Matthew's dad is driving around trying to find Matthew he actually comes across a patrol car that was on duty and so the father starts explaining his situation to the police officer. It's around 1 a.m. right now and most people at the party are gone. You know, there's really no one left except for a couple of people and there was a big group of people that were tired and hungry including Brendan. So, Brendan and a couple of other people went down the street to McDonald's just to get something to eat And so then 15 minutes after they left, um, as I said, Matthew's dad is currently at the patrol car explaining his situation to the officer. And just a couple minutes after Matthew's dad had explained everything that was going on, the officer had received a call saying that there was a situation at 11 Butler Crescent Northwest. So back at the house, the only people left at the house are Katie, Jordan, Lawrence, Zach, Josh, and Matthew, as well as another roommate upstairs, but she was sleeping in her bed with her headphones on so that she didn't hear the loud party going on. 
And currently, Lawrence had fell asleep on a chair while Katie, Jordan, and Josh were all sitting on a couch across from him just talking and hanging out as well as Zach and Matthew being in the kitchen. Again, Zach's just talking about his band, Matthew's asking questions about it, and it was believed that around 1.20 a.m., that is when Matthew just randomly mid-conversation takes a knife out from the knife block in the kitchen and starts to stab Zach. He stabbed Zach a total of seven times before running into the living room where he stabbed Josh six times and then started to stab Jordan. Katie tried to run but Matthew caught up to her when she was in another room and that is where he stabbed her four times. He went back to the living room and saw Lawrence sleeping on the chair, so that's when he stabbed Lawrence four times while he was sleeping. And although Josh, he's in the living room right now, although he had suffered major damage, he was able to get up enough strength to run out into the front yard and start screaming for help. So Matthew went outside and started to chase Josh all around the yard with a knife over his head and eventually Josh just ran back to the house. And during all of this, the roommate upstairs heard a bunch of commotion going on, so she took off her headphones, and that is when she heard everyone in the house screaming for help. And so she immediately locks her door and calls the police, and the police dispatcher actually said that when she was on the phone with this roommate, she could hear the screams of everyone in the background, and this phone call was so traumatic for her that she actually had to take time off of work as well as being diagnosed with PTSD from this situation. So Josh and Matthew are currently outside. Matthew is chasing Josh with a knife over his head and this is around the same time where Brendan and the whole group comes back from McDonald's and they notice that Zach and Josh are chasing each other. So they get out the car and they not only see Matthew chasing Josh with a knife but they also hear the screams of Katie inside. When Matthew made eye contact with Brendan, that is when Brendan immediately starts Started to chase after Matthew and Matthew and Brendan ran down the street and Josh just collapsed in the front yard and whilst Brendan was running after Matthew, Matthew kept on yelling, quote, it was the night of long knives. Brendan eventually caught up with Matthew and Matthew told him, if you don't let me go, you will die too. And so then that's when Matthew wiped his bloody hands on Brendan's hands and said, quote, we are now now blood brothers and Matthew basically just ran and Brendan didn't know what to do because he had his friends' blood on him and he was freaking out. He just didn't, he was just so in shock of the whole situation that he didn't even have the energy to chase after, you know, Matthew. So back at the house, the group of people that was with Brendan are now in the house as well. They're trying to save as many people as they can. They're trying to apply pressure to the wounds to 
stop the bleeding, as well as two friends currently on the phone with the police. The police showed up to the scene and the first person that they saw was Josh on the front lawn. So they checked Josh and they found out that he was still conscious. He still had a pulse. So they immediately put Josh into the ambulance and sent him to the hospital. And further going into the house, they find Zach and Jordan on the floor of the living room laying next to each other, and they were pronounced dead on the scene. They also found a friend of Lawrence's that was trying to apply pressure to Lawrence's wounds in hopes of stopping the bleeding, but unfortunately, it was too late for Lawrence as well. The police walk further into the house, and that is when they find Katie in a different room. Although Katie was going in and out of consciousness, she still had a pulse, so they also put her into the ambulance and sent her off to the hospital. And although Josh and Katie were immediately sent to the hospital, they were unfortunately pronounced dead minutes after they got there. So now that they have all of the victims, they are now in search of Matthew. And so from Brendan's statement, he said that Matthew just ran away. So Matthew could not be that far. So they start patrolling the area. And about 20 minutes later, they actually found Matthew running just a couple blocks away. When the police showed up, Matthew attempted to fight off authorities and authorities said that Matthew in this moment had absolutely no fear even though there was police officers and canine dogs. It was said by one of the officers that at one point Matthew had punched one of the canine dogs that tried to attack him as well as running straight into an officer that had his gun pointed towards him. So the police are trying to figure out a way to get Matthew to you know surrender and so that they could arrest him and so they're kind of going back and forth with Matthew and at one point one of the officers was able to get a hit on Matthew and get Matthew to the ground so that they could arrest him. The police took Matthew's name down and that is when they realized that Matthew was the son of the senior officer at their police department. So Matthew instead of taken to the police station he was immediately taken to the hospital hospital to treat some really bad wounds that he had gotten in the process. Matthew was put on a stretcher and taken to the hospital after suffering wounds on his arms and face. So when he got to the hospital, that is when the police showed up and started asking him questions. And Matthew, before the interrogation started, said, quote, I just want to say that when I stabbed them, I tried to do it mercifully. I aimed for their heart. They put up a struggle which made it hard, but you know, it wasn't sadistic or anything. I didn't enjoy killing at all. I said sorry, but the son of God was controlling me. Matthew then goes on to tell the story of the party and how he was in the kitchen with Zach. And he also, at one point, claims that the whole situation was in self-defense because he said that Zach was intimidating him. And so he just picked up the knife and started stabbing Zach. And of course, he needed to kill everyone that saw the incident as well. Then Matthew said, quote, I was just trying to kill them before they killed me. He also goes on tangent saying that the five students were a part of the Illuminati, they were werewolves and Medusas, and Satan told him to kill them. He also said that he was the son of Satan and Hitler reincarnated. 
After telling his story, he demanded a lawyer, but weirdly, he had requested the cheapest lawyer that specialized in mass murders. Doctors at the hospital said that he was suffering a psychotic episode, most likely, and so that's when they admitted him into the hospital. And later on, he would also be diagnosed with schizophrenia. The next morning on April 15th of 2014, that is when all of the families of the victims started to receive news about what happened. When Katie's parents received the news, they said that at first they thought that the police had gotten the wrong girl because they weren't even aware that Katie was at a party that night. Lawrence's family heard a knock at their door that morning and they just had this deep feeling in their stomach that something was wrong with Lawrence because the night before they were trying to contact Lawrence but was getting no response. Jordan's mom, Patty, also heard the news and could not fathom that this could happen because Jordan was a good student, he was a good kid, he only hung around good crowds, you know, so it was really unbelievable that this this horrendous of a crime would happen when he never had any violent friends. The police also told Jordan's mom, Patty, that it wasn't appropriate to give her the details because sometimes the details are a little too graphic for her. So she really wanted to know what happened. And so that day they held a press conference about the situation and it was the press conference on TV that she learned how Jordan had died. Josh's mom, Rhonda Lee, actually received a call from one of Josh's bandmates who was at the party and said that Josh had been killed at the end of the night. Rhonda Lee immediately called the police and asked if this was correct, if they had the right guy, and they said they would call her back as soon as they could. And then several hours later, that is when she got a call from the police saying that yes, it was Josh and he was confirmed dead shortly after he got to the hospital. So currently, Matthew is admitted into the hospital awaiting trial because in order to go to trial, you need to be fit for trial, like mentally fit. So during this whole process of him leaving the hospital and able to go to trial, a lot of things had happened. Matthew's parents had come out to the press apologizing to the victim's families about their son's actions. And they also confirmed that when convicting his son, there was going to be no favoritism involved. Matthew's father said that they, just like everyone else, are very confused as to why Matthew would do such a horrific and graphic crime like this. And during the press conference, you can definitely tell that the father was really struggling to get through it. He was crying and shaking the entire time. Calgary University actually had memorials for Jordan, Josh, and Lawrence, and even friends of Matthew's attended these memorials and were just as shocked as everyone else. You know, people were saying he had a lot going for him. He had just got accepted into law school. He had good grades. He was um, on the track team in college, and he was one of the best runners on the team, so he just had so much going for him, and they would have never thought that he would commit a crime like this. 
And then on April 30th, that is when Lawrence's 28th birthday would have been. So in honor of Lawrence and his passion to become a transit planner, the Calgary community got together and paid to make a special charter bus that traveled from the university to the service station and called it the Lawrence Hong Express. Lawrence and Zach, since they were both in their final years of school, were both given their degrees that the families could put up in their homes as well as a memorial. Scholarships were also made for Josh and Jordan. Another memorial scholarship was made at Counterpoint Dance Studio in remembrance for Katie because that was the studio that she actually danced and studied at. This scholarship would help kids who are financially struggling but really want to pursue dance. And then on May 22nd of 2014, that is when Matthew had been under a 30-day psychiatric evaluation and he was declared fit to stand trial, but before he even got to trial, he was sent back to the hospital. So he wasn't fit to stand trial. So then on May 16th of 2016, that is when Matthew's trial began a whole two years after the crime was committed. Matthew attempted at pleading not guilty due to reasons of insanity. His lawyers and his defense team to back up this claim were pulling out many doctor reports from his two years of being in the hospital and further to prove that during the time of the crime, he was going through a psychotic break as well as suffering from schizophrenia. So he didn't know how to differ from reality and fantasy in the moment, meaning that in the moment he didn't actually know what he was doing. So they said that Matthew would thrive a lot more if he was placed into a hospital instead of a jail. They also said that Matthew's in a way better place now. He's on medications and they say that he genuinely wants to get better and he doesn't want to go back to that mind state that he was in on April 14th of 2014. The other side of the court argued these claims, bringing up the text message that he had sent to his co-worker, saying, quote, trust that I never hurt anyone. All will be known. Five. So again, with this, um, with the number five and him killing five people, a lot of people um, saw this as clearly it was a premeditated crime. Why else would he say, trust that I never hurt anyone and then five and then that night five people end up getting murdered by him. They also argued that Matthew was running away from the crime scene as it was happening, showing that in the moment he knew what he was doing was wrong. And then that same day, that is when the court found Matthew not guilty for reasons of insanity. They said that he was not capable of understanding the wrongs of his actions that night due to his psychotic episode. They said that in the moment he was not able to differ from reality to fantasy, meaning that he was not able to understand what exactly he was doing. They also said that due to his schizophrenia, this could have had a contributing factor to it all. 
So instead of being in a jail cell, he was sent to a mental hospital. And so as part of like his deal into going to a mental hospital, once a year he has a reevaluation. And so each year with the reevaluation, the doctors have three choices um, of what they could do with Matthew. When they reevaluate him, they could either fully discharge him, discharge him with limited privileges or just keep him where he's at. So he did these yearly reevaluations, and every single time the doctors felt that they should just keep him where he's at. And then in 2018, four years after the murders, uh, Matthew was moved to another hospital in Edmonton. It was there he was able to receive unsupervised ground privileges, such as having outside time and free range of the internet. He was also able to have supervised passes into the city with a responsible adult, which both of his parents are considered responsible adults. Then the following year in 2019, when he had his yearly reevaluation, they said that currently Matthew was still given heavy doses of medication, but if he stops taking the medication at any point, he could easily relapse within just a couple of weeks or months. And quite recently, last year in 2021, it was the very first time Matthew had spoken out at all. So for his, you know, yearly reevaluation, he actually spoke out and said, quote, I accept what I have done and I am truly sorry. I just hope one day I will be seen as a person who is able to earn his way back into society. The weight of this tragedy bears heavily on my shoulders and has not lightened over time. I carry the shame and guilt with me 24-7 and forever. I want to make amends in any way I can. I'm committed to managing my illness. So although he had spoke out, he was still denied the full discharge and they felt that he was still a danger to society if he were to be released. But however, even though he was not given full discharge, he was given access to more privileges such as supervised camping trips and unsupervised passes into Edmonton. So remember how before he had to have like a responsible adult with him, now he could just wander the streets of Edmonton. So it's basically like he's kind of free in a way. After this, there was also a park that opened up in South Glenmore in remembrance of the victims called Quintera Legacy Garden. This is basically just a park to remember all of the victims and remember how incredible of kids they were. Matthew is currently now 30 years old and in a mental hospital in Edmonton. He was last evaluated in 2021, but from the looks of that reevaluation, it seems like they're giving Matthew a lot more privileges. Oh, and I didn't even mention this. Matthew also, um, at the 2021 like reevaluation, he was also given the possibility of not being fully released, but if he were to be released, he would be released into a group home. So from the looks of it, it seems like Matthew could be fully released in maybe a couple years, which is very, 
very scary because I was like watching a bunch of interviews of um, Zachariah's mom. Zachariah's mom has been very vocal in the press about this and she is saying that, you know, although Matthew is doing a lot better now mentally, people need to remind themselves of the reason he's in there in the first place and they need to understand that it's very hard for the victim's families when everyone in the media is saying like, oh, Matthew's getting so much better he's getting all of this help he's able to do this and that again but what about the victims families you know no one is even talking about the victims families and their progress and what they had to go through with no help at all it seems like Matthew is given all of these special privileges for committing five murders so yeah that is basically the end of today's episode um it was definitely a really tough one because if you guys haven't watched my last uh, episode, I talked about the Greyhound bus murder where essentially this man had stabbed and ate a man on a greyhound bus and then eventually he was found not guilty by reasons of insanity and him himself today even though he ate and killed someone he is now walking the streets completely free seeing the same things as me and you going to restaurants hanging out with friends laughing smiling and it's very scary that matthew could be like that matthew could commit five murders and one day be able to enjoy his life again and has the privilege to live as if nothing happened whereas the victim's families they have no choice but to you know live with this hurt and this pain they don't have any help they're not given you know special treatment from hospitals or medications like matthew is given So, yes, that is the end of today's story. Let me know what you guys think about this case, if you have anything to add to the story. Maybe if you've listened to this story before and there's a little detail that I didn't mention that you think is, you know, important or interesting, make sure to leave it in the comments below, as well as just, you know, your thoughts on the case. Do you think Matthew should have went to jail or do you think that it is more you know, understandable that he went to a mental hospital. And do you think that Matthew should be released? Let me know. Talk about it in the comments below. That is all from me. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Uh, Make sure to go outside, drink some water, get some sunlight. And if there's no sunlight around you, then just drink some water, eat your favorite food, read a good book, take care of yourself today, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.